0: Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be back. Hey, have you ever done something so stupid that you couldn't look somebody in the eye afterwards? I've done, I'm 27, so I've done plenty of things. But just so stupid that you're just like, man, I'm so guilty, I can't even look you in the eye. do this all the time with my parents. But in eighth grade, I'll never forget this moment in eighth grade. We were given a 12-page research paper at the very beginning of the semester, and our teacher thought he was giving us grace, which he was. He's like, hey, you guys have a whole semester. You work on it as you go, right? You have all this time to do it. So naturally, I waited until 10 p.m. the night before it was due uh, to do this 12-page paper plus a poster board, right, to get all these pictures and quotes and put them on here. All about William Shakespeare? I don't know anything about William Shakespeare, especially as an eighth grader. So I waited until the night before to do this. 12 pages as an eighth grader the night before. So naturally I knew this was not gonna happen. I'm not getting this done at all. So what I did was I plagiarized pretty much the whole thing, about 75% of it. And I did such a bad job of plagiarism, I didn't even take out the hyperlinks. So you know, like when you like copy and paste something, and there's like blue font with the underline, you can click on it, it sends you two of the source. So my teacher's reading it as, as I turn it in, and obviously, like, it's not even like, hey, this doesn't even sound like Justin. It's no, literally, like, it says where this came from. <laughs> so about a week after I turned it in, it took about a week to grade him, I walk into class one day, and Mr. Ringsmith looks at me and says, Justin, see me after class. And I knew exactly what he was talking about, and I have never wished for a bell not to ring in a class before. Sitting in class, like, I hope this day just goes on forever. And as soon as the bell rings, I just make a slow walk to the front, because I'm in no rush at all, (laughs) no rush. I walk up to Mr. Ringsmith, and I say, yes, Mr. Ringsmith. And he goes, you know what you did. I know what you did. You're getting an F. But I'm not going to turn you in, and I'm going to give you a shot at extra credit. And I was like, I'm doing this again, right? now. but in that moment, he's like, holy cow, that's grace, right? So I went to a, a private Christian school, Legacy Christian Academy, it used to be Meadow Creek. Some of you might've heard of it down in Andover. This isn't like, you know, a public school where everybody just gets in. Like you can get expelled from public school, but everybody gets into a public school. This is, you have to pay for it. You have to get accepted. You have to sign a covenant that says, I won't drink. I won't smoke. I won't chew. And I won't date the girls that do that whole thing. And you have to sign a covenant that says that you won't cheat, you won't plagiarize, you won't do any of it. And I broke so many of those rules in that covenant. But I signed that, and you're supposed to. If you break those rules, you are supposed to get turned in. And most likely what happened to most kids, because some of my friends got expelled, you were supposed to get expelled. And my teacher looked at me. To this day, Mr. Ringsmith is my favorite teacher (laughs) for a good reason, right? He looked at me and said, I'm not going to turn you in. And he even gave me a shot at extra credit. What kind of man does that? Well, it's an easy answer. A man who knows Jesus, right? And I'm not saying that everybody who knows Jesus is just gonna be handing out grace and forgiveness and mercy all the time. No more punishments, right? But Christians are the ones that do this. Why? Because we have such a gracious God. Every single one of us, no matter how bad we are, we are all bad in the eyes of God. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned and we deserve punishment and condemnation and we deserve the wrath of God. Yet what did he do? He sent Jesus. And as we look at our culture right now, especially here in America, what I'm seeing in our culture is that we are on a trajectory towards a graceless and a merciless society where it is all about guilt shame, and condemnation. And one of the topics I want to talk about today is this term called cancel culture. Now, if you're not on social media or if you don't watch much of the news, you might not have ever heard what this is, but cancel culture is this. It's a form of boycott in which someone, so it's not about businesses, it's about people. So someone is cast out of social or professional circles. Or in other words, if you've ever heard somebody say to you, you're dead to me, right? That's cancel culture. Cancel culture is all about somebody has done something wrong, and there's no forgiveness. There's no apologies. There's no statement. It's just you have done something wrong. You are going to get punished. And we see this playing out in our culture all the time today. Social media. (laughs) Don't even get me started, but social media is one of the most... Horrible places to be a lot of times, especially during election seasons. But right now, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, this happened where a woman was at a grocery store and she refused to wear a mask. And she freaked out because people around her were telling her, you must put a mask on. Now, we're not going to talk about a mask, no mask debate right now. Obviously, everybody's wearing It's good. Thank you. But what happened is this woman just flew off the handle. And you know what we naturally do when that happens? We take out our phones and we film them. <laughs> and we post it on Facebook. We post it on Twitter. And it goes viral for the world to see. But oftentimes we see these videos that go viral where these people are freaking out. Whether it's Mass whatever it's about, right? We see these videos we're like, wow, that person is crazy. But if you actually follow some of these stories that happens to these people, this woman lost her job because of this. Now, her reaction was not, it, was, it wasn't good, right? But she can't even afford to pay her bills now because she got angry in a grocery store. I'm not saying her reaction was right, but this is where our society is going to. Where if you do something wrong, there might be someone filming and you could go down. And so everybody's living on edge and everybody's walking on eggshells. People have their sins dug up from the past from 20 years ago. And they're losing their jobs, or are losing their families. Even in our own families, this isn't just in the political world, they're just out there in big cities, even in our own families, we have family members who have sinned against one another and ourselves. And sometimes we shun these family members, or they show up to, to family events, but nobody really talks to them, right? Because you know, everybody knows what doing. We do this all the time, even in our own families. This isn't just in politics, this is right here in our world personally but I want to challenge this. And before I challenge us to grace culture instead of cancel culture, I want to preface this by saying accountability is absolutely crucial, right? We still need to hold people accountable and natural consequences are going to happen. If you say something racist at work and you get fired, that's not cancel culture. That's just racist, right? We need to be careful about what we're calling this and that. Accountability is good, But I hate where I see the world going, in the fact that there's no apologies, there's no grace, it's just condemnation. And I think that we need to be, as Christians, and as the church, we need to be leading the world in this. Is that grace and mercy and forgiveness are where redemption happens. But when we just choose to condemn, that's where shame and guilt, and oftentimes spiritual death, and maybe even physical death, can live. So let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we're going to be. It's going to be up on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. But John chapter 8 is a very famous story about a woman who is caught in adultery. And this is what happens. It says, at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now this is really crucial. This is the intro to the whole story, but this verse sets up the whole story. This is not in a closed room. This is not in a private meeting. This is literally like in Walmart on a Friday at three o'clock, the busiest time, right? This is in the middle of everybody. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, who were the religious elite, they brought in this woman who was caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, stoning is when you just throw rocks at somebody until they die. But they say, what do you say, Jesus? What should we do to this woman? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, we don't know what he wrote, but here's what happens. When they kept on questioning Jesus, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, and at this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. There's a piece of wisdom right there. Right? The older ones recognize their sin first. Sometimes us young punks, Bill always calls me a young punk. We're too arrogant. If you're young in the room, man, listen to listen to the old people, right? No, but their wisdom is good says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I love this story. There are so many parallels in this story to our culture today. Now, what happened is this woman was caught in adultery. And the Pharisees, they acted like this angry mob and they took her and they brought her out into the public square, which is the equivalent of throwing her sin out on Facebook, right? And they're saying, what do you want to do with her world? What do you want to do with her Jesus? Should we stone her? Should we condemn her? Should we punish her? And I love this because it's a direct picture of cancel culture, right? This mob mentality of this person has done something wrong. Let's put her sin. Let's expose her sin. Let's put her out in the public and let's condemn her. There's no testimony from her. There's no apology from her. The man isn't even there, right? Where is the man? There's two people, right? But it's all about condemning this one woman because they have anger towards her. They have a bias towards her. And here's what Jesus does. He bends down and he writes in the sand and he says, He who is without sin casts the first stone. Now, this is one of the most misconstrued Bible passages in all of the Bible, I think. Because a lot of times when we use this verse, we say, oh, you know, he who is without sin casts the first stone, right? You just got to let it go. But Jesus doesn't treat it like that. This is, adultery is still sin in the eyes of Jesus. No matter how it's exposed, adultery is still sin in the eyes of Jesus. Like, we can't look at Hitler and say, oh, Hitler was terrible. What should we do with him? Well, he who is without sin casts the first stone, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. But the reason he said this was because the Pharisees had set this up, right? Remember in verse three, it says that the Pharisees did this to trap Jesus. That's really key to this whole story. The Pharisees did this to trap Jesus. They wanted Jesus to either break the law or follow it. If he broke the law, they could put him to death. If Jesus followed the law, he would be putting someone to death. And he was all about grace and mercy. So they're trying to set up Jesus. They're trying to trap him. But what did they have to do to trap Jesus in this? They had to go find a woman who they knew had a reputation, right? a reputation of sleeping around. Then they had to find a willing man, and they had to walk in on them. Verse 4 says they were caught in the act. How do you catch someone in the act of adultery? You're either super shocked, right? Or you set it up in the first place, which the verse says that they did. And so when Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone at her, there's an element of general grace in that, that we all need to give people grace. But really what he's doing is he's exposing the sin of the Pharisees. That he's saying, when you start acting like a mob, and when you start cherry-picking people to, and finding their sins and cherry-picking their sins and trying to expose them so that that person gets taken down, that's where you have sin in your own hearts. And if you are without sin, cast the first stone. And as you notice in the story not one Pharisee lifted up a stone. Why? Because Jesus exposed their sin. This is crucial to understand as we're in especially the political season. Now, I don't care what side of the political aisle that you follow that you fall on. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. If you claim Jesus, welcome. Right? We're all family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But I see so much anger and so much hatred, not just in conversations that I've heard, but man, you go on Facebook and it seems like it is the most discouraging place on social media. Go on Twitter and it's like, oh my gosh, people talk like this? People fight people that they don't even know and they're just dropping F-bombs at each other. Doing all doing It's like the world is ugly. What in the world are we going towards? And what I see happening is that if we have so much anger that we're posting or so much anger in our conversations, it's like, do we wish that this person just wouldn't be president? Or do we wish something really bad would happen to them? And I'm not obviously accusing any one of you. I'm not accusing anybody in here of anything bad like that. But what I want us to do is to check our own hearts, that we're not being just like the Pharisees. You know, some of us, I know, we don't want Trump elected. But do some of us want him condemned? Some of us, I know, we don't want Biden elected. But do we want Biden condemned? This is where we have to check our own heart. It's on both sides. And so I'm not calling out one side or the other, but we all need to check our hearts because we are not first Democrats. We are not first Republicans. We are first children of God who are living and breathing because of what Jesus did for us. I know we're Baptists, but I'm feeling some Pentecostal fire after that one, right? Holy cow. We are children of the Most High God, first and foremost. But we need to be so careful about where our hearts are at, especially in this election season, or maybe even towards our bosses, or maybe, maybe even towards an uncle, maybe even towards a family member. Whoever it might be, we need to be so careful that we don't want them condemned because that's not what Jesus wanted. Yes, this woman deserved punishment. She committed adultery. But if our intentions are sinful, as we expose other people, we do not have the right to throw a stone. We need to be so careful. We need to check our own hearts. And I'm right here with you. I get so fired up sometimes when I see happening in the world. But it's like, Justin, check yourself. Pray. Be like Jesus. Right? Right? Who stopped instead of having a reactionary response to the Pharisee's question of wanting to stone this woman, what did he do? He just bent down, started writing and drawing in the sand. We don't know what he's writing. Doesn't say, but it obviously wasn't important. What was important is that Jesus didn't just start mudslinging against this woman or the Pharisees. He stopped and he thought he had wisdom. We need to be so careful that we're not just reacting, but we're responding. We're thinking about what we say before we say it to our friend. We're thinking about what we say before we say it to our parents. We're thinking about what we say before we say it to a person from high school that we haven't talked to in 15 years. Right? The Bible says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self self no, I'm losing <laughs> faithfulness and self-control. That is the mark of a Christian. And I love how this story concludes. As Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. The Pharisees walk away one by one. And now it is just Jesus and this woman standing face to face. There's a complete change of scenery in this moment. Complete change of imagery happening in this moment. There's this angry mob. And all of a sudden the angry mob is gone. The world is gone, right? The world can't condemn us because the world is not Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate judge, And now that they're gone, it is just her and the real judge who is Jesus. And now we know the story ends with grace, right? We know that Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. But imagine being this woman in this moment, right? Her sin is exposed. And while the world is gone, the true judge is standing before her. I really don't think that this woman expected grace. I think that she expected some sort of punishment, stoning or not. But what does Jesus say to her? He says, has anybody condemned you? And she said, no. Then he says, neither do I. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus found not only a savior, but he found a person of refuge. I mean, imagine some of the worst sins that you've ever committed. Some of the ones that you feel most guilty and shameful about. Imagine that's exposed before God. Because our sins are exposed before God. But Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. What is this revealing about Jesus? What's this revealing about who God is, His character, His nature, His goodness? It's revealing that Jesus does not stop at forgiveness. Forgiveness is amazing in and of itself. None of us even deserve God's forgiveness, but let alone his opportunity for us for redemption and new life and new hope. That every single one of us, our lives don't stop at the fact that it seems like God has just forgotten our sins. Our lives start at the fact that God gives us an opportunity to let go of the gossip that we've been speaking behind our friend's back. That in the name of Jesus, we can be free from gossip. That we can be free from anger. And in the name of Jesus, we can be free from bitterness. We can be free from alcohol or pornography or drugs. Whatever it is that's been entangling you in your life, you are not only forgiven for, you are given freedom and new life to live a brand new life. That is the goodness of God. And that is what this woman gets. And I hate the fact that we don't get to hear the rest of her story. Right? It says, go now and leave your life of sin and the story's over. But I can only imagine the joy and the freedom that this woman had because she found refuge in Jesus. And I love this picture as she's standing there with Jesus. We don't find salvation just in church or in friends or because our family is Christian. We find salvation and refuge when we are one-on-one with Jesus. The mob is gone. Her family isn't there. Nobody else is there. It's just her and Jesus. And she walks away with freedom and forgiveness. And so I don't know where you've grown up, whether you've grown up in church or not. I don't know if you claim to be a Christian because you come to church. But what what makes us Christians is that we have this one-on-one with Jesus, that we have found refuge and salvation in him and in him alone, not in our good works, not in our money, Not in the fact that we are relatively good people, but because we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That we look at his sacrifice on the cross and we recognize that he was beaten and bloodied because we have sinned. Because I plagiarized on my paper. And because I've done so many other heinous things that I do not deserve the mercy and the grace of God. But that's exactly what mercy and grace are. They are things that we do not deserve. But Jesus is so good that he grants them even to the most sinful people. And so we're going to close this morning with communion. And we have prepackaged communion today. So if you have it, go ahead and pull it out. And if you're a kid in the room, if you've got kids in the room, or maybe you're watching on the live stream and you're taking communion at home today, just want to encourage you to make that call for your kid. Um, If you've got young kids and they don't understand what communion is, or maybe they've never given their lives to Jesus, then just use your own discretion on whether they should participate. But in communion, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. And as cancel culture wants to cancel everybody for all their sins they've ever committed, even from 20 years ago, we remember that Jesus does not cancel people, he cancels sins. Jesus is about forgiveness and redemption. And like I said earlier, accountability and consequences are important. They're crucial and they happen all the time. But redemption and freedom and forgiveness is what Jesus is about. And so our way for today is a symbol of the body of Christ broken for us on the cross. And the grape juice that you can either dunk or drink, it's up to you. There's no rules here. But this is the blood that was spilled out by Jesus on the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that price. He paid that wage for us so that we wouldn't have to. And he gave us the free gift of eternal life. God, we come to you this morning humbly. Lord, recognizing that we are sinners, that we are not perfect, and that every single one of us deserves cancel culture. Every single one of us deserves to live in a graceless and merciless society. Yet, Lord, the reason that we're here worshiping you and and learning about you and and praising you and the reason that we want to live for you and follow you every single day of our lives is because you gave us what we do not deserve. We found refuge and salvation in you and in you alone. And you deserve all of our worship, all of our remembering, and all of the glory. So God, we come before you, Lord, broken, but recognizing that you are the author of restoration. That we don't have to live in our sin anymore, but Lord, we can be free because of what you've done for us. Not only done for us on the cross, but Lord, you showed us how to live. And your Holy Spirit lives in every single one of us who claim your name. Every single one of us, Lord, who are Christians here today, Lord, we bear your Holy Spirit as a free gift that you gave us. And so I pray that we tap into that. I pray every single day that we look to you, we lean on you and we call on your name. We call on the Holy Spirit, Lord, to lead us, to guide us, to sanctify us, to cleanse us, to renew us and to encourage us. And God, I pray that we're not blinded by anything that's happening in the world, whether it's political or family issues, whatever it is. But Lord, our eyes stay focused on you. And because you were so gracious and gave us mercy, which we do not deserve, Lord, I pray that we can all live that out as well. Because you gave us mercy, help us to extend mercy. Because you gave us grace, help us to extend grace. Because you gave us love, help us to extend love to other people. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.